1: I think the first thing uh, with Ryan that that anybody realizes or sees is um, that you know he wants to do what's best for the organization. And so when you you run into different scenarios and situations, you want to be able to hit it from every angle and discuss different things with each other. And right away from the front end with me, that that's that's kind of how things went, which I appreciated. You know, just being able to bounce ideas off of each other. We both, you know. Uh, just just have so much respect for how we've gotten to where we've gotten to uh, from that point then until, until where we're at now. And I just think that uh, he's an extremely detailed person. Uh, we, we always joke he, he writes everything down um, and, and types it all up, and he makes up for the stuff that I don't type and write everything down. So we just balance everything off of each other, and we work well together.
0: You're listening to The Joe O Show on 670 The Score.
2: And they collaborate. Have you heard? Matt Nagy with the media today. Joe Ostrowski broadcasting live from the score. Hyundai Studios presented by your local Hyundai dealers. Phone lines open. Text lines open. 312-644-6767. 312-644-6767. Apologize. I know I was cut off there in the last segment. Some tech issues back in the home office. So, but, you know, there have been a lot of people checking in on text lines saying, hey, the point is that the quarterback doesn't matter if you have a poor offensive line. Okay, sure. Both starting tackles are down. You know what? You're going to give me the good to great quarterback, a top five, top eight QB in the league, which is automatically going to put me in the postseason and make me a contender. I will take my chances. If I run into a great defensive front and I have no tackles and they beat me up all day, all right, fine. Guess what? We have a quarterback. And you know what that means? We're going to have another spin at the wheel next year because we have stability at the quarterback position and we'll fix it. Well, get that figured out. It is easier to add the quarterback, give up your high draft picks, do it that way, elevate the players around you, have a chance at every single game, have a plan for your offense, than to just try to make everything around the quarterback perfect and hit on everything, which means striking on all of those high draft picks, hitting in free agency as well. Best path to being a true contender is having a top 10 offense. It's not that complicated. And I know the the strong defense won this year in the Super Bowl. Sign me up for a Bears Super Bowl appearance. Does you signed up? Yes. You, you're good. You're yes. good if they
3: go all the way to the Super Bowl and they lose and yeah. then they have a a great quarterback the next year so you get another chance at it. See, that's the thing with the Chiefs and like I understand what the the last caller was saying. I, I get did you- it, but yeah, the thing is, now you come back the next year, and oh, guess what? You still have the best quarterback in the league, and you're going to win probably twelve, at least 12 games again. That's the point. That's the point. Look at the teams
2: that that you know. There is a group of teams that you know they're going to be in the playoffs unless everything goes wrong just because of the quarterback
3: play. Even Just if, because of that. Even if the Chiefs have that same offensive line they had in the Super Bowl, they're going to win 12 games easily. Yep. How many,
2: how many Super Bowls is Mahomes going to win in his career? If I put it at two and a half, would you go over?
3: Hmm. Yeah, I'd probably say over. I probably will, cause he can play fifteen more years if you want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it's ridiculous. At this point, I mean, he's already been in 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 three years as a starter. He's got an AFC Championship appearance a Super Bowl win and a Super Bowl loss and there's no reason to think that he won't at least be in the AFC championship the next year. So yeah, I'll take the over on on that. Yeah. Yeah. Andy Reid, I don't
2: think he's retiring anytime soon. For the most part he's a good coach. Sometimes I I have my own questions. Uh 708 texture. Joe, why would you let Pace mortgage the future again? when it doesn't work out, which I have no faith it will, you set the franchise back 3 to 5 more years. Well, listen, if I'm running the team, he's not here right now. But I'm just saying that if I'm Ryan Pace, you're going all out. You get you don't care. Your job is on the line. So aren't you doing that? And I know people get all worked up when they hear George and Ted being mentioned by Ryan Pace. Well, they have bosses. I I know this is a, a strange take, Studs. Can you meet me halfway on this one? So nobody wants to hear that Ted Phillips is involved in football decisions. Same thing with George, really, but he is the owner of the team, so he can do whatever he wants. However, this is the this is what they've set up, right? There's not another football ops guy like there probably should be, many which many other organizations have. I don't mind them being involved because you don't want to give up the entire future for a guy just trying to save his job. I, yeah, I could agree with that for, for the right quarterback, as we've established for the right quarterback. Of course, of course, I'm fine with making that move. I'm just saying if it's not one of the top three guys and you're, oh, I don't know, giving up a first round draft pick or two for Carson Wentz.
3: Yeah, I'd want that. Check there for sure, because like you yeah I mean, McCaskey and Ted Phillips, like especially like McCaskey, obviously, but apparently Ted Phillips not going anywhere. <laughs> so yeah. we don't love it. They but have this the, is lo- the situation. Yeah, they have the long term interest of the team in mind. Ryan Pace, even though he might say publicly he wants the best thing for the Bears, it's like, yeah, you got a job to save. So, yeah, yeah I yeah, I, I I agree with that. That thought process. I am. Uh, it
2: was interesting to hear Matt Nagy talk about the process of landing on Sean Desai as his defensive coordinator. I'm optimistic about the hire. I wasn't feeling great when I heard that Mike Singletary was in the mix, but it sounds like a detailed process that Matt Nagy went through. He said he interviewed nine different candidates for the DC vacancy. Now may, maybe some got jobs. He, he would not get into the names and all that stuff. And uh, recent news—they've had Mike Pettin to the staff. I don't have an issue with that. You, you have a guy, that, you have a coordinator that hasn't done this before. Now the players, current and former ones, rave about Desai, but I don't have an issue with having extra ears, extra eyes. There, guys, a guy with a lot of experience like Mike Pettin, and they bring in Tom Herman for a made-made-up position. Yeah, so they bring in uh, Tom Herman for a made up position. It's okay. They like to bring in a lot of different coaches. There are a lot of different ideas out there, and uh, you've probably heard Molly say it on the station before. He is a play collector when it comes to the offensive coaches. Joe Ostrowski here, three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven, three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. 6767. 67 6767. Yeah, let, let's go to Matt Neggy talking about the addition of Mike Pettin to his coaching staff.
1: As you all know, I, I've always had a lot of respect for the way that he does things um, for him as a defensive coordinator. And, um, you know, any time that you can strengthen your staff in, in ways of whether it's helping out um, in meetings and in, in, in personnel and in different ideas, um, the beauty is is when you go through times like this, especially like a guy like Coach Patton, who's been a head coach in this league, Right. He's been a defensive coordinator and had a lot of success coming in with the first-year coordinator and Sean Desai. What I thought was beautiful about our conversations, the three of us, was that there's just zero egos involved the whole way through. And so uh, Coach Patton is really here for a sounding board for for Sean and for him to be able to maybe ask questions when he he has an idea or a thought or confirmation. Um, Also, at the same time, being able to work ahead of time and, and help out whether it's with the offense or the defense but when you have uh, smart people in your building that you feel like can help out and you don't have people that are in positions where they have an ego or they're a threat or they're they're in they, they just it's just not good it's unhealthy we don't want that and that's the first that, that's what I'm so looking forward to seeing how that thing blends together
2: they collaborate no issues with that. I know there were some problems going on with the Packers, with the defense. A lot of Packers fans up there. What do you know? Packers fans are calling for the firing of a defensive coordinator. It's a yearly thing up there. But, yeah, that's a good thing. That's a good thing they added Pettin to the staff. And He talked a little bit about Tom Herman. I don't know that he's long to be an assistant here. He's used to being the big man and uh, running the show. And making a lot more money than he's gonna be making with the Bears. But that that happens all the time. Young coordinator, first time calling plays. Let's bring in a veteran to help him out. Happens all the time in this league, and I don't have any issue with it at all. Uh, here's a part that got <laughs> that gave me a chuckle. I mean most of the time Ryan Bay speaks. You're gonna do that. I we see we ended up getting a lot more than I thought we would. Out of today's uh, Zoom press conferences with the general manager and the head coach, I love this question. I forgot who uh, asked it. Maybe it's it's going to be here. Uh, Ryan Pace was asked about the strengths of his team.
4: I think our strength is our coaching staff. I think we got a strong coaching staff that we built upon uh, this this offseason. But yeah, I mean, our, our defense is the strength of our team. You know, we have a lot of talent all throughout our defense. And are there areas we want to be better in that we were in last year? Of course. Um, and, and I think we've done some things to already uh, try to tweak that, but And I think on offense, I think as the season went on, you saw some of our, our young talent emerging. I thought our offensive line really settled in the second half of the season or our running game settled in um, the talent we have at the receiver position, the t- talent we have at the tight end position uh, with Cole and Jimmy. And again, it's on us to continue to add to it. You know, I go back to our special team, Stacey, and I think you, you look at the season Cairo had and, and, and CP and, and Pat O'Donnell, and I think our special teams is a strength too. So, but it's on us to add to that, uh, continue to get better, and that's the window we're in right now.
3: He, 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 he mentioned. Hold on. He mentioned two players. He mentioned yeah. one player in there that is not currently under contract, Cordell Patterson, and another yeah. guy, Jimmy Graham, who I think everyone assumes is going to be gone. So, right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, Ryan. A good question from Stacy Dale's NFL
2: Network. Okay, so let let's break these down. Strengths of the team. That's That's a fair question that you expect coming your way, right? And and you've been working on this team for six years. You're going into year number seven. Kaskies are very kind people. The first thing he mentioned is the coaching staff. They fire people off the coaching staff every year. And that's the first thing he goes to. They keep adding. Let's keep adding. Come on. Maybe we'll figure it out. Okay. Coaching staff. Defense. Obviously, well, you spend the most money on defense in the NFL, so you better have a talented squad on D. He says they do. I would agree. We expect them to get closer to top five, right? They need to be top five if they're going to have a winning season. (laughs) So coaching staff is number one. Defense, number two. Offensive line settled in. Settled in because they were horrendous in the first half of the season. Oh, we got a running game going. Yeah, you faced the worst defenses in
3: the NFL. Couldn't stop the run. I mean, yeah, they went hey. from one of the worst lines in the league to competent against bad yeah. teams. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. All right, there, yeah, it, that's, that's improvement. Yes, technically, yes. If you can play an entire
2: season like you did in the second half, even even though you're missing a couple guys, we'd be happy,
3: right? That'd be good. I think so. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and I do think that the interior of the line is going to at least be decent this next season. I mean, it's a whole other conversation, but between James Daniels, Cody Whitehair, and I think they'll go into the season with with uh, Sam Rustifer at center. <laughs> Mustifer. Mustifer. <laughs> I can't remember his name. Max it's Rustifer. Good, it's, it's it's good. It's <laughs> Max yeah, Rustifer. You're, not, the, the you're mistake. not supposed
2: to know his name. You're not supposed to know, which is fine. <laughs> um, and he said talented receivers, right? How many are, are under contract? Allen Robinson is not. Corderell Patterson is not. Uh, Mooney is. <laughs> I love that. Because when George talked, too, when he talked about the talented players that Ryan Pace is bringing in on offense, the first baby he brought up was a fifth-round rookie in Darnell Mooney. Anthony Miller has been a complete bust. So, these are the talented receivers he's talking about. Of course, it starts with Allen Robinson, and he, he kind of sent the message that he's going to be back no matter what. And then it's fifth round draft pick Darnell Mooney, a uh, uh, second round bust Anthony Miller, Riley Ridley. It pains them to put him on the field. We've got Javon Wims, too. Where are these talented receivers?
3: Patterson's more of a running back, anyways, a special Riley, teamer. Riley Ridley is such a, a weird and non <laughs> like. Like It just yeah. seems to like he's a fourth round draft pick and he can't get on the field over Javon no. Wims, who every time I see like we see him do something good, like he had a really good catch in the early in the Saints playoff game and then immediately negates it by dropping the easiest touchdown pass uh, you will ever have in your life.
2: It was so, you know, if you are a Matt Nagy backer, Sean Payton really helped his case because it was it was a play call. Uh, perfect, right? Just perfection.
3: Yeah, everything and he just about dropped
2: that. it. And he just dropped it. And I don't know if it changes the outcome of the game at all. I don't know that it changes uh, how it was played out. Not sure about that. But Sean Payton watched that, and he said, I'm using it next week. And they scored a touchdown next week in the postseason on that. I thought that was beautiful. That was beautiful. That may have helped uh, Matt Nagy's case for the future. That he could give him some actual talent, some guys that can catch passes. I really
3: wish... And, <laughs> I and w- Trubisky threw a dime on that, oh, yeah. too. This is one of the best balls you've ever seen him throw. And, like, I wish that I could have seen Matt Nagy's inst- like, live reaction to seeing that. Like, Ugh. immediately being like, that's my play. <laughs> like, yep. Look at what happens when competent players run my plays. Yep. I know. So, I... I have my issues with Matt Nagy. I
2: I didn't like the fact of the last two seasons that he never seemed to put Mitchell Trubisky in a position to succeed, get him on the move. He's more accurate out of the pocket, get him out of the pocket. For some reason, he didn't want to do that. He wanted him to be the quarterback that he wants. I I never understood that, but he is creative. He has a lot of different plays, but he also fired himself at the end of the year, so I don't know. (laughs) I'm as confused about Matt Nagy as I was a year ago. Does that make any sense, studs? Because yeah. at, t- at times, he looks brilliant. And then other times, I'm like, oh, God,
3: he's got to go. That's It's a week-to-week roller coaster, I it think. It really is. Because you had, yeah, multiple weeks in a row all against bad teams. Yes, we're like, oh, okay, I see it. And then you even look back on plays in 2019 where you see, like, oh, man, he perfectly schemed Anthony Miller open on a wheel route. And Mitch missed the throw, you know? So there's yeah. all these times you can point out like this play design's great. This play call is great. It's he's just got bad players doing it. And then you can point out like, why is he making Mitchell Trubisky throw from the pocket 30 times a game when he clearly can't do it? Yeah. I, I think ownership has a lot of faith in the head coach. They clearly have the same faith in
2: general manager. I wonder when it comes down to it, are they going to just wipe them both out? At the end of the season press conference, they kept saying, Ryan and Matt, Ryan and Matt, Ryan and Matt. So there's this assumption, and I've done the same thing, guilty as charged, that they've tied them together. But I wonder when it's all said and done next year, if they they aren't better than 8-8, eight and eight, if they're just going to get rid of them both, or they're still going to have belief in Nagy. It's a tough schedule, man. It's going to be a tough road. Uh, next year. So, a lot of different takeaways coming from the press conference. I thought it was going to be an absolute dud, a nothing. But hey, they're saying, Ryan Pace says everything is on the table. They refuse to slam the door on Trubisky. It may be less than 1%, but there's a chance they go 0 for 12, 0 for 13 on all their swings with these other QBs. So, they might be forced to go to Trubisky. Is Brissett really an upgrade? Maybe that's a conversation they're going to have to have internally. How much of an upgrade is Ryan Fitzpatrick for one year? I think he's better. He'll take some shots down the field for you. When he's hot, man, he can roll. And you could win some games for a month. But hopefully those aren't the the conversations they're having. It's about how many first-round picks and second-round picks and players do we have to give up to get one of these top-tier quarterbacks. 312-644-6767 is how you call and text. 312-644-6767. We've got DePaul versus Marquette coming your way at 745. We'll continue the Bears conversation also coming up. Uh, peek ahead to baseball as the the weather is turning, and most days you turn on the TV and you see some live baseball action. Makes you feel good. Dreaming of the summer, maybe even going to a game this summer. I'm Joe Ostrowski. You've got 670 the Score in the Radio.com app. Joe Ostrowski with you. Sports Radio 670 The Score. to Paul against Marquette coming your way 745. This segment on The Score brought to you by Hint Water. Hint is pure water infused with surprisingly true fruit flavors including watermelon, blackberry, and cherry. No sugar, no sweeteners, no calories. Available in your local grocery store or at drinkhint.com. Hint Water with a touch of true fruit. Flavor, uh, what my favorite moment in uh, the Ryan Pace press conference today? Not the Matt Nagy part. The one that went down at three o'clock. The Ryan Pace one was our very own Hubarkish, because he totally flipped it on Pace. He started talking about the other other quarterbacks, uh, available quarterbacks, like having a franchise quarterback. And Pace completely took the bait. He thought he was going to start to go into... You could just see him. He was going to start to go into his response. Well, you got to respect the process. Can not talk about other other players? But Hub flipped it on him and I loved it. So Hub asked Ryan Pace, if you had a franchise quarterback, why would you trade a franchise quarterback? I thought it was great. And Pace was just like, that's a great question, Hub. <laughs> Why would you do that? And Ryan's thinking, man, what is that like, having a franchise quarterback? What That, that must be awesome. That must be ridiculous. But uh, the answer he went into is just about how there's a lot of things going on behind closed doors in organizations that we don't know anything about. And, of course, he reflected on his time in New Orleans because that's the only – only other team uh yeah you have that i i i'd love to hear that again because pace was so confused here's here's hub asking uh pace a question at today's presser
4: there's so many things that go on uh, internal with with teams around the league and you never really know unless you're within those walls and you know i've i've only been with two different clubs but there's things that have gone on behind the walls that, that no one else will know and so you never really know uh, what's going on you um you just respect the process and but, but you never really know the, the reasons behind those things. So I really can't answer that in any detail.
2: Yeah, so once he collected himself, like, oh, he's asking about if I actually had a franchise quarterback. Why would I want to trade a franchise quarterback? Yeah, I thought that was great. Great question by Hub Barkas today at the press conference. Like, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good one, Hub. I don't know why you would do such a thing. Try to make it work out. Texans, they're a complete disaster. And if you're a Seahawks fan, you've got to be kidding me. If this what this is what it comes down to, and those are the four options that Russell Wilson puts out there, fire the head coach yesterday and give me Russ for the next six to eight years. Bring in another coaching staff. Carol, we had a nice ride. Appreciate all your hard work here, but we're moving on. That's what I would be hoping for if I'm a Seahawks fan. But the, there is the scenario that all these these players we keep talking about, Watson, Russ, Carr, Dak, none of them go anywhere. And That's why the door is still cracked on Mitchell Trubisky. I know it's not what they want. And if they have a top 10 list on Pace's desk at 1920 Football Drive, Trubisky's probably not on the top 10 from David Letterman. He probably didn't crack it. But might have to be on the list. He's there somewhere because you can go over for 11, over for 12, 0 for 13. All right, you may have uh, heard me promote this in the past. Uh, so I co-host BetQL Daily. It's live on the Radio.com app, 9 a.m. to noon weekdays. Subscribe to the podcast. Check it out. If you're into the NBA, Major League Baseball, college basketball, we talk everything. Of course, a lot of NFL but uh, through the lens of sports betting, uh, it's a lot of fun we have every single day. We have co-hosts we have a bunch of different guys that sit in with me, so make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. But a Chicago guy from The Athletic, Michael Beller, jumped on the show. He's a huge Cubs fan, and we started uh, to preview the season, including a breakdown of from the National League Central. So I, I want to leave you with that in just a moment. Appreciate my producer, Adam Studzinski, uh, tonight, for his hard work. Follow me on Twitter, at Joe0670. That's at Joe0670. We've got the Paul Marquette coming your way at 745. But I want to leave you uh, with my conversation with Michael Beller of The Athletic. Just uh, looking forward to baseball this summer. Take a listen. Of course, the Dodgers got power. Like, am I am I really going to waste money on some other team? Because I think the Dodgers are going to go back to back. It's going to be the first time in, in decades since we've seen that. Uh, over at PointsBet, Dodgers plus three fifty to win the World Series. Yankees the second favorite at plus five fifty. Then the Padres plus eight hundred. The White Sox plus nine hundred. Mets plus a thousand. What what is your mentality going in? with uh, the World Series or pennant odds, and uh, is there value anywhere?
5: Yeah, I think you can find some. I mean, obviously the Dodgers deserve to be where they are. I wouldn't even be surprised or wouldn't, wouldn't think it'd be crazy if they were plus 250 or plus 300. You know, we yep. just don't really see that for, for World Series odds before the season. Uh, but there's still some value to be found. I would say the first, the first step here is, I mean, there, there's MLB is such a have-and-have-not league that I don't think you're really going to be looking for anyone who's beyond like the plus 2000 range as someone who you're really realistically going to want to have a future bet tied up. And I just don't think we have that team this season. I think, you know, even teams, you can maybe get excited about in that range uh, Houston or Toronto or St. Louis, if you think they're the best team in the NL central, like there's too many fleas with those teams to really think they're going to run through a-, a gauntlet in the playoffs and get there. But I think there's still some value to be found. And I think the place you find it the most is maybe with the Atlanta Braves, a team that has proven to us that uh, they can be a big time danger in the playoffs uh, with basically the personnel that they bring back this season. Uh, You know, you look at this, this offense one through eight, this is going to be maybe the best offense in major league baseball. And certainly among the best offenses in the league. I don't think any of us have any question about what they're going to be able to do game in game out at the plate. You look in the rotation and maybe that's where you find your question marks, but this is a very, high ceiling rotation we come into the year with max Fried, charlie morton ian anderson as the top three Uh, obviously uh, max Fried took a big jump last season he's gonna have to keep uh his uh, hard hit rate as low as it was last year he's a great guy at controlling um the the danger of the contact he gave up similar to what we've seen from Kyle Hendricks for so many years max Fried can do that so freed morton anderson I think that's a very nice top three. They're going to get Mike Soroka back relatively early in the season. I was talking with David O'Brien who covers the Braves uh, for the athletic uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, all signs are pointing to Mike Soroka being back on the mound for this team, maybe late may. So in like them, them being a playoff team, I don't think that's really going to be in question. The East is a tough division with the, what the Mets did and the, the Nationals still being a dangerous team, assuming they've got a basically healthy Steven Strasburg, obviously Patrick Corbett can bounce back. Suddenly you're looking at a very dangerous top three in their rotation. But the Braves are going to make the playoffs. And so long as Mike Soroka is good to go, once October rolls around, September and October, and now you're talking about Soroka, Freed, Morton, and Anderson, that's a top four that's going to go up against anyone. We know the offense is going to be great. I just think there's a lot of value in them. It's plus 1,000. It's not like the greatest value, but I think that there's the most value in the Braves. And is a game away from making the World Series a season ago, and I think they could be right back there this year.
6: You guys brought up the Cubs and Michael, I actually do want to get your thoughts on the NL Central because, you know, what teams do you think right now are being undervalued when you look at win totals, especially because in the NL Central, you know, when Pakoda released their projections, I was shocked that they had the Cardinals finishing third in the NL Central. I think the Cardinals are going to w- run away with the Central, you know, maybe the Brewers at the pitching is the way that they expect it to be. And Brandon Woodruff has a Cy Young type year and they don't you know, package Josh Hader and Devin Williams is the pitcher that we saw last year, and then the Reds are kind of a sneaky team. But I just feel like the the Cardinals aren't getting enough love. What are your thoughts on the NL Central?
5: I would say first and foremost, we know there is at least one undervalued team in the NL Central. Like it, it's the worst division in baseball. From the uh, I think from the standpoint of having high ceiling teams, mm-hmm. but all four of those teams, none of those four are bad teams. None of those four are truly bad teams the pirates obviously are the other four none of them is going to be a bad team i don't think you're going to see any of those teams go 72 and 90 or anything like that maybe one of them has some bad luck with injuries and you know that ends up happening to them but they're all going to be i think in the you know 75 to 85 win range maybe a little bit higher than that and i, well, I hear what you're saying on the cardinals i do think that, that can, they can be uh, the team that is most undervalued but I don't know what to think about that rotation beyond Jack Flaherty. I think that there, that could be a real uh, thing that drags them down. The Brewers, I do love the Woodruff and Burns combination at the top of the rotation, but again, not exactly sure what to expect beyond those two guys. I think Josh Lindblom's going to be a real X factor for that team this season. And then I, I think there are some concerns. With their offense, uh, given the struggles we saw, you know, most notably, I think, from of a season ago. I'm not too worried about Christian Yelich. I come back to the Cubs, you guys, and I look at an offense. I mean, there's been just so much negativity about the team this offseason, but they're still going into the season with Ian Hap, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Wilson Contreras, Javier Baez. You know, for this team, stylistically, Jock Peterson is an upgrade from Kyle Schwarber. They needed to diversify what their offensive profile was. Jock Peterson does that a guy who's going to take more walks a guy who's you know not quite a, a complete black hole a guy who improves the outfield defense a little bit although I think outfield defense is the most overrated thing in uh in the sport uh, but still does improve that a little bit you're going to see a ton of Nico Horner and, and this team is going to be a pitch to contact rotation we know that about these guys every single guy in the rotation Hendricks uh, Arietta Davies Alec Mills we assume is going to make the rotation Trevor Williams Albert Alzalai. Alzalai is really the only guy who's not necessarily going to be a pitch-to-contact guy. And so if you're going to do that, if you know that's the reality of your team, then you feel pretty good about having Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, and Nico Horner out there in your infield every single day. There's a potential marriage between rotation and infield defense here that could really play to the Cubs' strengths. And so I think the negativity and the uh, the justified negativity surrounding this team this offseason is obscuring the fact that it's still a pretty talented team. And so I think they actually go into the, uh, the season as the most undervalued NL Central team, 78 and a half, right? That's the number on their win over under, I believe, 78 and a half, 77 and a half right in there, plus 425 to win the division. I think that they are pretty underweight in, in both of those uh, respects.
2: With Michael Bell or from the Athletic Joe Ostrowski, Ryan Horvat, BetQL Daily. Uh, Ryan, when you were uh, leading into your point there about the most undervalued NL Central team, I was convinced that you were going to make a case for the Cincinnati Reds. When you look at some of the peripherals in a 60 game sample, like just everything went the wrong, went the other way for them. It just felt like so many talented hitters were just all in one, two month sample. Very unlucky. Are are you out on Cincinnati?
5: Yeah, I'm not out on Cincinnati. I think that they're in that group as well. Um, And uh, it's, it's. I think you're totally right about that, Joe, that you had so many things go wrong for guys who we don't expect things to go wrong for over, you know, a 162. It just happened to all happen at the same time. And they still have Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo fronting the rotation. Uh, obviously, Trevor Bauer off to L.A., and that was the guy who was their guy last year. But, you know, Luis Castillo, like I wouldn't be surprised if Luis Castillo had a better year this year than Trevor Bauer. And I think the guy who could really bring everything together for them, Tyler Malley, and Tyler Malley has uh, showed a lot of good strikeout stuff in 2018 and 2019, got himself into some trouble with walks, but the strikeout stuff was there. He took it to a completely new level last season, and he gives them a very dangerous third arm in this rotation. And if now we're talking about three guys uh, in Gray, Castillo, and Malley who are all going to strike out you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of you know, 27 to 30% of the hitters they face, they're just not going to let a whole lot of balls get put into play. And so I think that that's the guy who could be the key to unlocking Cincinnati's season, because, you know, things went wrong for them offensively, as you said last year, but we know what Eugenio Suarez and Nick Castellanos and Mike Moustache is. And at this stage of his career, Joey Votto, we know what those guys are going to be. They do have some up and comers in the offense with Nick Senzel, you know, most uh, standing out among them, Jose Garcia, if he can get to the majors and be their everyday shortstop, I think he's a guy who could add another element to their offense as well. But if Tyler Malley's a legit you know, number two uh, as the, as a number three in this rotation, then we're talking about you know maybe the best rotation in the division, and that would totally change the equation for the Reds.
6: Michael, really quick, uh, moving over to the American League. If you had to make a pick today, March 2nd, who would you pick to represent the American League in the World Series, or who do you think should be the favorite? Is it the Yankees for you? Is it a team like the Astros, or is it everybody wants to say a sleeper team, but now everybody's in on the White Sox, or is it the White Sox for you?
5: Yeah, yeah, right. There's, there's no real sleeper team in the American league. The the top teams have separated themselves so much from the rest of the pack that it's hard to point to one team jumping out and and being that team. So, you know, right now I'm, I'm still going to lean toward the Yankees just because of uh, what I think they're going to be able to do uh, from a consistency standpoint. I still think there's going to be some learning curve for the White Sox. I do think that they're the two best uh, teams, in the American League and I think it's going to ultimately come down to the two of them. Uh, I really want to believe in the Blue Jays and I think that that's uh, that's a team that uh, we're going to have to learn a lot about what their offense or what their rotation is early in the season. I think we know basically what we're going to get from Hun Jin Ru but Robbie Ray can he ever find some consistency? What sort of innings are they going to be able to get out of Nate Pearson? It feels like a team that is going to be held back By its rotation, and then of course there's the Minnesota Twins. Everyone's ready to overlook them because of uh, what the White Sox have done and how they have built themselves into this big-time contender. But the Twins are still going to be a very good team, it's still a very dangerous team. I really look at you know them as separating themselves. I would say Yankees, White Sox, then I'm going to take a step down. I find the Twins, and then I really take a step down to the rest of the American League. That 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 West Division is going to be a very tricky one to figure out, and one we might not have a great handle on until the summer's here.
2: Uh, with the athletics michael beller uh any mlb awards or stat leaders that uh you really like at this juncture
5: all right guys so uh my favorite one and yeah, i'm not backing off this j- just yet even though we uh, heard that he had his uh, start pushed back uh because of some back tightness yesterday like I-, I love the i love the cy young profile for for brandon woodruff with what we've uh, seen from him over the last couple <laughs> yeah. of seasons and And uh, just the the strikeout stuff is going to play. Absolutely. He's going to have a great chance to be on a division winner at the very least uh, in that NL central. And just to see him way down where he is, uh, you know, same Cy Young odds as Charlie Morton, just a little bit better than Denelson Lament. I mean, I love Denelson Lament. Denelson Lamette's the two pitch pitcher right now. We still need to see a good third offering from him before we take him, you know, totally seriously as a Cy Young candidate over a 162-game season, we've had that from Brandon Woodruff. And so to see him down at plus 2,200, uh, I really like the value on him there. Like, give me him. Oh, I think he's a better pitcher, period, than Max Freed. And uh, you know, Max Freed is, is higher than him. I think, he's, I think he should be more in, like, the Luis Castillo-Jack Clarity group. They're sitting at plus 1,500. Brandon Woodruff is that kind of pitcher more than he is any other kind of pitcher. So I, I absolutely love that. That's the one individual award that has really jumped out at me as we get ready for Major League Baseball season.